Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was told by myself. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Supervisor that the park ranger in the next district over had requested assistance. He had some sort of reports of something attacking people deep in the woods at night time. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but I remember thinking maybe it's just a hunter mistaking an elk for a man, although this notion was quickly dismissed because it was not hunting season. But I do know people hunt illegally, so I don't know. I was just trying to think of anything I could, so I go and meet up with the ranger, and we quickly get to work, finding any evidence he may have missed. We split up to cover more ground. It didn't take long before dark started setting in. The forest soon became very ominous, looking at night. One sure way from civilization, we were exploring different trails, and I hear a rustling. I called out to the other park ranger in response. That's when I hear things breaking around me. Whatever it was was coming closer. I decided it would be best for me to turn around to investigate what is in the woods. I turned around very slowly, looking into the darkness of the trees. There's nothing but thick timber all around. 
Everywhere you look, there seems to be darkness, but something big was getting closer and closer. And now I could begin to make out a shape. It was dark brown with black markings all over, and I see these orange eyes glowing brighter and brighter as it begins moving towards me faster until it stopped. I couldn't make out the details, but it was big, having a row of spikes going down its back like long spines. The way it moved, it sounded like metal scraping against metal. Then it kind of disappeared. I didn't see it again, but I knew it was around me. It's like it just wanted to make itself known, to let me know that it was there. So I quickly pulled up my service pistol, ready for this thing, although I never saw it again. But I could still hear it, probably about ten feet off in the wood line, waiting, lingering, hiding in the shadows. The other ranger finally met back up with me, telling me he had a bad feeling. I explained to him that some large animal was trying to stalk us, and I believed it to be an unknown predator. He told me he'd believed me, and he'd felt the strange sensation of being watched and stalked. He was concerned that it was a very large mountain lion, but I knew, based on what little I saw, it was actually something else entirely. I'm going to share a story with you from a few years ago, back when I was still a ranger. I don't know how many of you have been to Fall Creek Falls in Tennessee, but it's an absolutely gorgeous state park. It's well known for its waterfalls, but let me tell you something about the forest there. This was around 10, 30 p.m. on a weeknight. I was working my shift and I had to go out of service for about an hour to go and get some paperwork done, so one of the other rangers agreed to cover for me. It's dark by 9 p.m. in the summer at that latitude. It was pitch black when I began to drive out of the park. As I was driving out, I noticed several deer running alongside my truck. At first, it didn't really concern me if Fall Creek Falls is known to be home to the largest population of white tailed deer in any state east of Mississippi. Unbeknownst to me at the time, there'd also been a lot of predator activity. They were beginning to become a nuisance, and they had also been attacking local livestock. So, as I was driving down the scenic road, several more deer began running alongside me. They were keeping pace with my truck for a while, but eventually they peeled away from the road. I didn't think anything of it and just kept on going. Thirty minutes later, while I was stopped at a red light in town, a deer had run right up to the passenger side of my truck. It wasn't attacking me or anything, and just trotted along the bumper for a little while, then ran off into the brush on the other side of the road. I'm not sure how much of you know about deer behavior, but they typically don't act like this. When they see headlights coming their way, they turn away and run from them. So what was happening here? Well, I didn't find out until later. After seeing three or four deer running alongside my truck for thirty minutes uninterrupted, something else from the forest joined them, and it was pacing me. That's when I realized these poor deer had been chased out and hunted by something. Of course, when this was going on, I didn't think too much of it. Deer are typically skittish, and they're not always comfortable around people, hence why this behavior was so bizarre. So for them to act like this means there was something else nearby. I really wanted to see what was making them act like this, so I kept driving towards the west side of town. 
the whole way, every streetlight I passed. I would try and look over my shoulder at the car behind me every few seconds to make sure it wasn't getting too close. So every time a deer ran alongside me or crossed in front of my truck, I'd start scanning the woods along the road for whatever was lurking in the darkness. I eventually got home without further incident and went inside to get some rest. The next day I went back out. It turned out that one of the other rangers had found a dead deer on the side of the road near where I actually saw them running right along with my truck. Judging by how much damage was done to the carcass, it looked like it had been killed by something really big with very sharp claws and teeth. And we're talking bigger than a bear. I'll never forget what happened next. Well, roughly about two weeks later, I was finishing up work right around the same time, and another ranger had come up to me and asked me if I'd seen anything odd lately. He just said he came back from making his rounds, and he'd seen a tall, dark figure off in the forest to the left. I remember kind of chuckling and asking what he meant. He told me he tried to track it down, but couldn't find anything that matched what he'd seen. No bent-down grass, nothing bedding down. No footprints, nothing. And so, I told him what happened to me. We decided to stick around for a little while longer, and then we started talking about our favorite movies. Then we hear this loud howl coming throughout the trees. This howl was coming deep within the woods, but it did not sound like any animal native to Tennessee or even North America that we knew of. It sounded like some kind of cross between a wolf howl and a coyote yelp mixed with a deep guttural bellow. We heard it again a few seconds later, this time directly behind us just on the other side. That's when we looked at each other and both just started to slowly back away. I don't know how much you know about animal behavior, but when wolves or coyotes start howling like that, they're either calling out to their pack mates that they found food, or they're giving away their location so another member of the pack can come in for the kill. We kept moving back slowly, and as soon as we were far enough away to take cover, we got out of there. The next day, I went back to see the deer carcass, and it was even in worse condition. Huge, jagged teeth marks all over, similar to what you might see on an alligator kill. This was no doubt in my mind. Whatever had made these wounds wasn't some kind of wild animal. This looked like the result of something that was non-human, that had very, very large teeth. The incident at Fall Creek Falls isn't the strangest thing that's happened to me while working as a ranger for the state park. In 1999, I lived in Edinburgh, Indiana. Myself and my wife were living about three miles south of the old camp, Atterbury Military Base. This was decommissioned shortly after World War II had ended. I worked midnights at a local factory that had one-day shift. Persons this night, my wife woke me up, saying she heard some loud banging sounds early in the morning, but was not sure what it was. She thought that she had heard a voice, too, but wasn't sure. I know for a fact there were no animals or people walking around because it was so early in the morning. The alarm would have gone off if anybody had tried to enter the factory during those times. So I stayed up until about 5.30 a.m., then went to bed. I was talking about it later that day with two co-workers. At the time, many of the Indy 500s were being built around us by Camp Atterbury, 
so my guess is maybe some construction workers. Also, in the mid-90s, there had been a lot of military drills happening, which included tanks or other armored vehicles being driven on and around the base. I have a second story, but it's more of a worker fiction, as it never happened to me personally. In 1992 or so, my brother lived in Columbus, Indiana, and worked at Cummins as an engineer for over 20 years. Cummins is the ancient powerhouse behind the diesel industry, and has been for decades. My brother would stay late many nights until the early morning working hours on a test stand for engines. The building he was in was right next to their biggest test stand, which is used to overheat and stress all parts of a diesel before they are installed into a truck or other various locomotive. Cummins did not want any engine failures in the field. Cummins is located in Columbus, which is right across the Ohio River from Louisville, Kentucky. One night after midnight, my brother was working late when he heard a terrible noise coming from the test stand area. It sounded like an 18-wheeler diesel truck being pushed right outside a window. The stands are about 100 feet away and built like a bunker. He knew nobody else was there. He locked the door behind him like always. The only way to get in is if somebody buzzes you in, which was done by my brother at night, or hold your badge up next to the reader mounted on the wall next to any locked doors. So anyway, he gets terrified, calling security. When they come, he describes what he had heard and what was happening outside his window, which should be impossible. The only people there should be him and two other night shift workers who locked up. They left like normal before my brother came into work that evening. The security guys investigate the test stand area within their flashlights to see if there's any break-ins. No one, absolutely. Nobody is anywhere near the test stand area, but the noise continued like somebody was banging on metal parts loudly for hours. The common security guys said they were going to investigate this further and got many weird calls down at the desk that same night about noises coming from that building after midnight. My brother got out of there and went home. Cummins was very well known to have had a lot of strange happenings go on in their test stand building for decades. Cummins security would investigate every time something happened, but nothing was ever found. Many guys who worked there just refused to work late at night and in that building. They were terrified of what was happening. I do not know if this story is true or not, but my brother would swear up and down on a stack of Bibles that had happened. He never believed in ghosts either. So what was he seeing? For a friend who also lives in Columbus told me last year that the Old Testament building had burned up in a fire seeming suspicious. I wanted to share this story that happened about a month ago to my wife. I'm sorry this is a bit of a story as I am typing this out down below. I realize that it's a lot of typing for a sighting that perhaps wasn't as long or involved as some of the others, but we have talked so much about it that I wanted to be as thorough as I could. Me and my wife work in television, and it requires a lot of traveling and a lot of late-night car rides. We live in Florida, and my wife had to go to Georgia for work. Because we take so many plane rides, we sometimes decide when it's four, seven hours that we'll drive. 
Believe me, after 20-plus years of planes, being able to drive every once in a while is a blessing because you get so fed up with sitting in planes. It's about 11, 30 p.m., when her brother texts me to pick up the phone when she calls, which I thought was odd. Because why would I not pick up? As soon as I'm reading the text, I get a frantic phone call from my wife. Now please understand that my wife doesn't subscribe to any cryptid paranormal stuff. I, however, most certainly do. So for her to be this freaked out and panicked means something crazy went down. She starts talking real fast, and I can't understand any of what she's telling me. So eventually I tell her to calm down and tell me what is going on. She starts telling me I've seen one of those things you sometimes talk about, the documentary thing. Still kind of puzzled, I ask her, what docu-thing exactly? She replies, the wolf thing. The human wolf. Dogman. Yes. She's driving down from Georgia and is at this point two hours removed from our house and we are located just above Tampa. So she's already driving in Florida, but she's driving down this 45 miles per hour road to give you an idea of the road itself. So not a big, broad road as she's making a turn. Her lights hit what she at that moment thinks, a man standing bent over on the side of the road. She figures that's really odd, because who would be standing in the middle of the night in small, not-lit road? Then, as the light is hitting it more and more, she realizes that there's something off here as the light is climbing up, as she gets closer, revealing that the arms are completely covered in hair, and in its reaching to pick up something off the ground, she also sees massive hands. Then when it's fully light, this thing is hunched over and is already standing at seven feet and starts to move up. She sees a complete canine head with ears pointed backwards. She tells me that everything, despite going pretty fast, it's like everything is slowing down for her, so that her brain can make sense of it. She tells me it has really long, thin arms, very muscular though, short fur with longer fur at the back and neck and where the thighs meet. By the time she passes it, it almost stood up completely and has not once looked at her direction or acknowledged the car or the light, and it is as if this thing didn't really care. She tells me that she was on the phone with her brother as she sees this thing, and she started screaming when she saw it causing her brother to also freak out and ask her what is going on, and what she's seeing, which is when she rambles on to him and tells him she's got to call me. After she tells me the story, I calm her down, tell her to not get out the car anymore till she gets home and ask her if she has enough gas to make it without stopping at a gas station, which she does. She carries a firearm on her butt. There was no way she was going to stand a chance against this thing. If decided to go for the car, her. We talk a bit, as I can tell she's in shock, and she tells me that she's trying to make sense of it. She wonders if it was anyone from a YouTube prankster to someone just in a suit trying to create sightings. But none of those make any sense, as it never lead to anything. And that road is completely deserted and in the middle of nowhere. Now does that rule out it wasn't? No, but nonetheless, it was a sighting, and for my wife it was very real.
After we hung up, I kept making sure she was okay and got so spooked, especially because I enjoy a lot of the cryptid stuff and realizing that two hours away from our house that is pretty remote and surrounded by acres of land and woods isn't that far I grabbed. My 308 EM1, a SOCOM, and basically sat downstairs waiting to hear the garage so I could come and greet her. And when she did, she was still a bit shaken up, and we spoke about it with some friends and family members the days after. The other night, I was sitting on my front porch with my one-year-old on my lap, just enjoying the night air, when the clouds shift and uncover the moon. Immediately after there is a loud howl in the distance that is a textbook werewolf horror movie. How that got all the dogs in the neighborhood barking like crazy. My blood ran cold and I said, nope, not today, and went immediately inside the house and locked the door Law. It might have been nothing, but I actually live pretty close to LBL in Kentucky and have had a few other experiences, and have had a few trusted friends. Acquaintances tell me stories about a few different creatures in Kentucky. I'm very much a believer that there are certain things running around out there. Y'all stay safe. I'd like to preface by saying that I got home about an hour ago and this actually happened. I never have paranormal encounters and genuinely try to approach everything with a questioning mind. My partner and I like to hike at a local park late at night. It's a historic park in Pennsylvania, about 3,500 acres in size. It spans over into the M.D. Ebb borders. One of the trails allows you to cross through all three states. The entire park is mostly dense woods with a creek running through. Usually we park near an old church with a Revolutionary War cemetery that is famous for a grave known as the Ticking Tomb. I've been to every corner of this park, day or night. We usually hike a short loop that is roughly a half mile in length. We've walked this trail literally thousands of times and never once felt anything strange. But tonight was different. We made a spontaneous decision to go on a night hike and left the house at about 10.45 p.m. I decided to take the narrow dirt road to our usual parking spot rather than driving a mile up the road to a paved access road like we normally do. About halfway down the ragged dirt and gravel road as we rounded a corner, an animal dashed across the road in the path of our headlights. I've never seen anything like this animal. And I've never seen an animal that size in this area that I couldn't immediately identify. Its size was somewhere between a dog and a human, and it moved so quickly it almost looked like it flew. A literal black blur with some hazy details and bright silver eyes. My partner also saw it. I'm generally a skeptic, so I just wrote it off, and we both just kind of explained it away. We made it to our parking spot and pretty much resolved not to talk about it and continue on as usual. Immediately when we got out onto the trail, we noticed the frogs and cicadas were extremely loud, louder than I've ever heard them at night around here. As we progressed down the trail, it felt like we had to talk over the cicadas. We sort of quietly yet frantically attempted at lightening the mood with conversation. 
Unbeknownst to me at the time, about a hundred meters down the trail, my partner had begun to hear what he thought were extremely distant voices. I also noticed that the cicadas got progressively quieter the further we got down the trail. We made it about a quarter mile before a sudden, louder sound felt like it cut through the space between my ears. It was something like a glitching microphone or megaphone way off in the distance. My partner pointed out to me later that there was nothing for the echo to bounce off of in that area. The moment we heard that sound, I stopped immediately and asked if he heard it, too. Not only had he heard it, but he was convincing himself that he was hallucinating the sounds the entire time until I finally acknowledged it. Without discussion, we both immediately turned around and started walking at a fast pace back to the car. I felt like it was a bad idea to run, but we had to leave right away. We hoofed it back to the car with the feeling that something was following us all the way to the entrance. When we finally got back into the car and started driving, the feeling of urgency didn't go away. We made it all the way down the main road to our first turn, and I felt a moment of complete confusion. As I slowed to the turn, my partner asked me, Do you not know where you are right now? Because neither do I. We have literally driven this road thousands of times. I made a split-second decision to turn right, which was thankfully the right choice. The next road went along the perimeter of the park in parallel with the trail we were hiking. There was tons of fog which hadn't been there on our way in. We spent maybe 20 minutes at the park. Just as we made our way past the area that we had turned around, another animal darted across the road in front of our headlights. It looked exactly like the one we saw on our way in, only closer and in more detail. It had silver eyes and what looked like ears or horns. It was still insanely fast in either a blur or a wraith. I don't know how else to describe it. I get this really weird feeling when I think about it or talk about it. The feeling started when I saw it run across the road the second time. I feel like it's because I acknowledge that. Whatever that thing was, I couldn't explain it. I feel an almost burning sensation in my sinuses. My eyes water, and I get a strange tingling in the back of my skull. Like I said before, I'm usually a skeptic when it comes to this kind of stuff, but this experience has left me rattled. Two weeks ago, I considered myself a reasonably skeptic man. I was convinced that somewhere in the vastness of this realm, another intelligent life form inhabited an Earth-like planet. Whether or not said beings had visited us was up for debate. Even though I had never personally experienced anything that could be considered paranormal, I had heard enough stories to leave open the possibility. On the contrary, the notion of the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, Yeti, Mothman, and crypto things alike was laughable. As I lay in this hospital bed, crippled in pain and in fear, my view on monsters has drastically changed. I worked night shift security for a company that had been experiencing significant vandalism. Graffiti, broken windows, litter, the types of things bored kids find fun to do. The building is located on the outskirts of a small suburban area. The backside, shop area of the property faces a set of train tracks, a little traveled highway, and a vast forest beyond the road. 
The front was offices where I spent most of my time. My duties basically involved watching TV and playing video games while keeping an ear out for any mischief outside. Once every hour, I would take a stroll around the perimeter of the building. The first few months were the most eventful. It was rare that a night would pass and I didn't have to chase some kids off. A few times these encounters got a bit dicey. I'm not a gun person, so this led to me bringing my German Shepherd pup, Shoe, to work with me. He is named after Michael Schumacher. Once the hoodlums realized that my dog didn't like strangers, they stopped coming around. The job became a breeze for a while. And then some strange things started happening. It all started three Thursdays ago. It was raining that particular night. I don't make the rounds as much when it rains as I figure nobody really cares to be out in that crap. I was working a typical 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift, and the two previous perimeter checks were uneventful. I donned my rain gear and head out for a 4 a.m. check. As soon as I stepped outside, I was greeted by a horrific odor. A combination of feces, wet dog, and a dumpster on a 100-degree day killed my nostrils. I don't know if it was the smell or what, but Shu was hesitant to leave my side. Unusual behavior for him. As we made our way around the building, the smell still piercing our noses, my flashlight picked up the reflection of something in the grass. It was a blood trail. Shu led the way along the path. Ultimately, we discovered a deer carcass. It was absolutely torn to shreds, blood and guts everywhere. Both of its hind legs were missing. Once morning came around and the evidence was brought to the building's owner attention, we both agreed it was most likely some type of a prank. We buried the remains in a hole in a far corner of the property. The next night was clear but crisp. My rounds occurred more frequently. Everything was normal until around 2 a.m. It was somewhere around a quarter to half past two when Shu started freaking out. He was barking incessantly and I couldn't calm him down. I walked into the shop area and immediately heard what sounded like heavy footsteps coming from the roof of the building. A brief check around the building revealed no ladders or any other means of accessing the roof. That smell from the day before was lingering, although nowhere near as pungent. Besides my personal account, no other evidence was able to be reported to the owners. Saturday night was uneventful. Sunday evening would change my life forever. After a fairly anxious but boring three hours, I hear a window break. Shoe is scratching at the door before I can even get to it. It sounded like a back-of-the-building occurrence, so we quickly made our way there. Everything appeared normal. No kids, no pranksters, nothing. Then Shoe took off in a dead sprint. He ran straight towards a small grove of trees separating the property from the train tracks. As I yelled for him to come back, he froze in his tracks about ten feet from a cluster of four or five trees. A large, muscular arm reached out and encased his head in its palm. A quick jerk of the wrist in Shoe's neck snapped like a twig. Horrified by the sight, I let out, out an audible gasp. Whatever this beast was, it immediately focused its attention in my direction. There are three entrance points to this building. The nearest two are locked. The only unlocked entrance point would require me to run between this monster and the door. Since it was dark, I figured I could make it. I started sprinting. I made it about 25, 30, five yards before I felt a tug on the back of my shirt. 
The strength of the grip rendered me unable to escape. I fell to the ground. My heavy breathing only served to drown out the thunderous beating of my heart. I managed to gather my bearings only to realize I was being mounted by something. I suppose it took my mind a while to comprehend what my eyes were viewing. I was being pinned to the ground by an ape, an ape covered head to toe with matted red to brownish fur. A human face with a primate body had me pinned to the earth. This creature's eyes glowed a vibrant red. We locked eyes, and it was at this point I came to the conclusion this beast was about to take my life. I vaguely remember trying to kick and punch my way out of this thing's control. My attempted recourse proved futile. My last memory is a bit clouded, but I can clearly recall looking this thing eye to eye and feeling a certainty of death. The giant beast picked me up and hurled my defenseless body against a tree. Twenty to twenty, eight feet up, the tree snapped in half. My helpless body served as an unsuccessful saw. I assume a Sasquatch is what broke my back and has left me confined to this hospital bed. My vertebrae lost its battle against said lumber. Bigfoot is real. Bigfoot kicked my ass. I'll never forget that smell. I'll never forget my eye contact with a creature spawned straight from the depths of hell. I miss you, and I miss my innocence. My fiancé and I love camping and always do stuff in the outdoors. We're usually pretty avid hikers and explorers. We've gone through many different trails, hikes, and many adventures out in the woods. I have never noticed anything out of the ordinary or even at a place, although I am a firm believer in the paranormal and Bigfoot and other weird occurrences that do happen, although I've never really experienced them until this particular event that I'm about to talk to you about. Me and my fiancé decided to camp at one of our favorite lakes, Lake Dewey in Michigan. We've camped here several times before and have always had a great experience. So this time would be no different, or so we thought. It was later September, and I remember because it was still pretty warm, but the cold crisp in the air of fall had not yet set in. We had a pretty typical fun day on the lake. We hung out, we hiked, we hung out in our tents before going back out and hiking again, and then coming back for dinner to relax for the evening. But by the end of the first night, my boyfriend was acting strange. He was getting really quiet and not talking as much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Much as he normally does, which I just chalked it up to him being exhausted since we did have a long day. We ended up putting on the fire and turning in for the night. I noticed he seemed on edge and had a rough time falling asleep, but he didn't mention anything even when I asked him if he was okay. I sacked right out and woke up the next morning. 
No problems feeling well, rested, and ready to take on the next day. Him, not so much. He didn't look so good and seemed like he was still on edge from yesterday. After getting up and eating breakfast and going on the next hike, the day seemed pretty normal, and we decided to get ready to go back to camp, as it was starting to become later in the afternoon. That's when he sat me down and told me that he had been feeling uncomfortable since yesterday. When I asked him what was wrong, he just said he didn't feel right about where we were, and then he felt like we were being looked at and watched very closely. I assured him that he was just paranoid, and it was silly to think like that. Nothing was out here. Nothing was going to get us. I convinced him to stay with me another night, but he seemed so apprehensive about it now. It was bothering me how weird he was acting because it's not like him. Usually, he's one of those guys that is the first to come up with crazy hiking trails and spots for us to check out. He was always the first one of us to want to explore dangerous territory and stuff that was never meant to be explored. This night was a little calmer, and I feel like we both checked in a little earlier than normal. I ended up staying up and digging around on my cell phone, while my boyfriend just laid there trying to fall asleep. The evening had been pretty dead. We hadn't really talked a whole lot after heading back to camp. It was just kind of blah. After he sat me down and told me what he did earlier, I had been kind of on edge, but just tried to play it off. It was pretty late at night, if I remember right. I want to say my phone said something like 11, 30. And this is where we started to hear footsteps go through our campsite. And I mean heavy footsteps. And then the breathing started. I started to feel really uneasy, and I just kept hearing a thud for every step that was taken. I started to panic because I wasn't sure if this was a bear we were dealing with or someone who was trying to hurt us. I looked over to my boyfriend and asked him if he heard what I was hearing. And he was already as white as a ghost and nodded right at me. I sat there scared, looking at the door of my tent, trying to listen for any sound I could. The sound had ceased for a while, and all I heard was the night air. The stomping would stop for a couple of moments, and then it would resume. Whatever it was was stomping around in our camp, around our tent. But it wasn't really getting into any of our stuff like a bear would. It's like it was casing our tent or something. It made me feel so nervous. Whatever it was kept getting really close to the tent, and we could hear it breathing heavily. It must have been huge because it sounded like it was a ten-foot-tall man. Either that or it was a bison on two legs walking around our campsite. For the next few hours, this would go on and off until roughly three or four in the morning and we could finally fall asleep. We didn't even notice the noises stopping, and the feeling of dread went away. I think my boyfriend and I fell asleep from just sheer exhaustion and panic. We still do not talk about it to this day, and when we got up the next morning, we didn't even speak. We just booked it out of there and packed up as quickly as we could. Could it have been a Bigfoot from what we saw or heard? Probably could it have been someone rummaging through our camp. I don't know. Whatever it was, I don't think I'll ever go back to that. This is one of those experiences that I have that I've never really pre-told to anybody. It sounds like something out of a grade B horror movie, but it happened 60, 
eight years old, retired Navy commander, David Fravor is now involved in civilian life. Having worked for decades as an aviator with the United States Navy and then later as a pilot for the Usen Reserves, you may remember David Fravor as the guy who had led top secret investigations of reports of unidentified flying objects. He has also achieved some notoriety back in December of 2017. He had spoken about his experience investigating a UFO while piloting an F-A-18 multi-role fighter stationed aboard the aircraft carrier USS Nimitz in 2004 off the coast of San Diego, California. What I'm about to tell you has me reliving the incident all over again because it's just too strange for words to adequately describe. What happened that day while we were tracking an unidentified object with my instruments, but also unable to get a radar lock. I was baffled by what I was seeing on the radar. It had performance characteristics that were far beyond any known aircraft in the inventory of the United States, or any foreign nation for that matter. So I have absolutely no idea what it was. It didn't show up on my radar and it was able to accelerate, get very quick bursts of speed beyond the normal limits of normal aircraft, and was also able to turn very sharp angles at speeds I could not believe. I can't begin to guess how fast it moved. It looked like one second it was there, and the next second it was gone. As I mentioned earlier, my interest in UFOs did not start till later in my career. I'd say with this incident it was peaked somewhat. The command of the U.S. Nimitz is based out of Coronado, California, with at least one aircraft carrier assigned to the base on most days of the week. Commander Fravor's role as commanding officer for any given expedition would be to pilot. The Fay 18 a multi-role fighter that can serve in various roles from area superiority or attack roles, and he has logged over 700 hours of flight time. Technically, Commander Fravor's rank during this incident would have been Lieutenant Commander, but for brevity, we'll just say 04. On November 14, 2004, U.S. Princeton oceanography expert Ray Keller had been tracking a mysterious object for over two weeks. He even called in the U.S. Nimitz to investigate what he was seeing with his own eyes, along with his instruments on board the ocean surveillance ship the USNS Observation Island. According to Commander Fravor's recollection of the events which began to unfold that day, he said this, I was on a routine training mission flying out to an aircraft carrier off Point Loma in San Diego when the oceanography officer asked if I could check something out with him. He wanted me to take a look at what his radar was showing. He said that there was something weird in the vicinity of the island San Clemente down here. It showed up about 45 miles away. He gave me a vector, and I found it immediately on my radar, too. I couldn't make heads or tails of it on my display, so I thought, okay, I'll go take a look and see if I can make it out visually. It was around two to 3,000 feet above the water, heading roughly south. The thing, whatever it was, would turn very sharp and sort of come back on itself. The corkscrew turns. Eventually, we figured we'd never get a solid track on it, so we decided to make our way back towards the Nimitz. And as we got closer, my wingman made visual contact. 
He got within a few miles of the object, and I was probably four or five miles away from it. You could clearly see it, but what you could see was not like anything I'd seen before. The object was just hanging there in the air. We were at 25,000 feet, but I could clearly see the shape of it. It looked like a 45-degree angle cutout with a massive wingspan. It did not look like anything an airplane or anything I've ever seen before, flying over water with no navigational lights. As we were moving in on it, it just disappeared. That was the end of that. It was at this time, after he had returned to the Nimitz, when Commander Fravor's superiors began asking him what he had encountered and what his plans were a follow-up on it. But taking into account what they knew about the object, they ordered him to take no further action. As I was leaving, the tactical data that we were getting about it began to disappear, so I thought this thing was moving very quickly away from me, which is why I wanted to get closer, what my superiors told me not to pursue. However, Commander Fravor's curiosity had been piqued, so when he got back to the Nimitz, he asked they pull up any information on what he had just seen. They brought into the ready room for all the data that they had collected by looking at it with infrared and radar, everything too, but there was nothing. It showed up in none of those displays. It was the shape of a 45-degree angle cutout, yet it had no propulsion system that we could see. There was no exhaust plume. According to Commander Fravor, by the time his superiors began to look into what he had encountered up close, whatever it was they were looking at had suddenly vanished, and by the time they looked back, it was close enough to them that what he had seen with his own eyes could not be denied. As we were preparing to get into debriefing, I asked other pilots who had been on missions before, and none of them have ever heard anything about this. But as we entered the room... There it was on the projector, the data I had seen myself. All of a sudden, it showed up ten miles out. Fifteen miles out, all these waypoints along the track, all at the exact same angle. The object would also perform maneuvers that no known aircraft could possibly do. According to Commander Fravor, one example included what he described as a vertical 180 in which the object changed course instantaneously and shot straight upwards, only to turn again and come right back down. It was almost like it knew we were watching it or it was moving away from us. I'm not sure, but that's what makes me think it had some kind of intelligence. The other pilots watching the events unfold became terrified by what they were seeing take place according to Commander Fravor, who admits that he too was now terrified about what they might be facing. Everyone in the room got a chill. We knew there was something really bad flying around us, and while it may not have been obvious to Commander Fravor and the other pilots what had terrified them so much, decades later we know what they were saying was something from beyond. Me and my brother Travis had been going out hunting together for as long as I can remember, back when my pa, God rest his soul, he used to take us when we were little. He always told us how impressed he was because of how quickly we were able to catch on and learn about the area around us and things we would notice, like tracks, markings, sounds. It was great, 
We didn't actually start going hunting, though, with him until we were a little older, around nine or ten, and we instantly fell in love with it. Our pa passed away from cancer when we were roughly about seventeen and sixteen. Respectively, since my little brother is only about a year, year and a half younger than I, and it just quite hasn't been the same since. So to honor that me and my brother make it a ritual to try and go out together every year and hunt and keep it going. The family line depends on it. Our uncle has had some property that has been passed down for quite a few generations. That mean my brother and Pa have hunted on for ages. These past five years specifically, though, we had been going to different places to hunt, and it just wasn't quite the same as our uncle's property. So this year, we had decided we were going to go back to her uncle's and give it a go. We contacted him in Gulfy, okay, and we'd shown up there in the early morning. Luckily for us, there's several different tree stands set up all throughout my uncle's property. He's got about 80-plus acres of just deep woods. We are in Montana, after all, and a really, really nice cabin-style house that we sometimes like to sleep in when we visit before we go out camping. Anyway, we knew this time at the usual tree stands we wanted to hit. We got there that early morning and got all geared up and ready to go. It was clear my brother was going to take a stand about a half mile away from the stand I was in. We were both going to go in about two to three miles deep into the woods to get to this one specific spot we both knew of. It was actually a pretty good clearing, and there are many bucks and does that were usually sighted here, so we knew this is the prime spot. We got all ready and headed out to the designated spots we needed to go. I wished my brother luck, and he did to me as well. I climbed up into my tree stand once I made it and sat there, and I waited. Usually when I get to my tree stand, it's hard for me to not want to get totally relaxed and just be comfortable. I loved it. I loved it being out in nature and hunting. That's where I belong, and I've always felt so at peace. The sunlight was barely breaking through. It couldn't have been any later than five or six in the morning. I don't remember exactly. I thought it was weird, though, that I didn't notice any wildlife really teeming in the area as we had made our hike back to the stand. I didn't think anything of it at the time, though. An hour had gone by and nothing. The woods were so unusually quiet, and all the life in it was gone. I mean, there wasn't a sign of anything around. I thought it was so odd. It was a lot long after that that I started hearing weird noises coming through the woods. I couldn't really place the direction around me to where it was coming from. I just knew it was coming around me from close by. I just figured at first that it was a big buck finally coming to the area, since it sounded so heavy. I kept hearing brush crushing and twigs snapping. The only issue is the heavy thudding and footsteps I was hearing didn't sound like it was coming from a four-footed animal. It sounded like it was a heavy person, but it sounded way too heavy to be a person. I started to hear what I can only describe as booping, like noises and other strange sounds. I started to get nervous. The sounds began getting louder and louder, and as I looked under my tree stand to see if I could spot what it was, I locked eyes on it. Coming into the woods from the clearing, not even fifty yards away from me was this giant hairy man. 
I quickly ducked my head down to make sure it didn't see me, and every step it took was a deep thud, and I could hear it wheezing and breathing hard. I heard it walk its way towards me, and then as it approached my stand and got close, it slowed down. I was so terrified I wasn't sure what to do. I gripped my rifle tightly, praying I wouldn't have to use it in this confrontation, because I knew I wouldn't make it standing out against this thing. It slowly passed underneath me and kept on going. I waited for it to be gone completely before I even moved a muscle. It felt like an eternity. I quickly opened the hatch and got down out of my stand, and by instinct I ran to my brother's stand where I knew he'd be. Only being half a mile away, I knew it wouldn't be too far, and if I can get past the thing that walked right under my stand, I would probably be okay. The woods were still quiet, which made me so nervous, because that means it was still in the area. I'm in it to my brother's stand in probably ten minutes, or even less. He was also as pale as a ghost. I explained to him what had happened, and he didn't really say much. He just said we needed to leave, and so we hightailed it out of there. I've been hunting for years and years, and I've never seen anything or encountered anything like I did that morning. It wasn't until we got back to the truck that my brother was telling me he saw the same thing walking your history stand, and that he doesn't believe this creature saw him or even meant any harm. He's probably right, but it's something that I don't want to have happen ever again. It honestly scared me to death, and I haven't been able to go back to my uncle's property and hunt since. My brother was able to get over it and move on, but he will never talk about it, and since then we found other areas and places to hunt on. I think we've kind of just collectively decided to not go back, even if it is kind of an unspoken rule. Whatever is running around on my uncle's property, keep it far away from me. I saw six flying mount arrays in a line with equal spacing. Judging the distance in relation to airliners coming to land at Philadelphia International, their width was twice the length of an airliner. The coloration was silver slash blue with a glow to it. Their form of locomotion was quite strange. They had an erratic undulation from side to side. Almost like they were tacking through a wild river current. I was amazed they were able to propel themselves forward in this fashion, let alone stay aloft. Their speed was comparable to a small plane. I watched them continue to travel east toward New Jersey for five minutes until they became too small to watch. They appeared to be real creatures. The only thing that bothered me was that strange color and glow. I wondered if their skin was excited by the sun. I had the feeling if you were directly under them, they could be translucent. I always thought there should be creatures living in the skies, but we know nothing about them. Being translucent makes sense, as one of the reasons creatures are not seen more often. I waited several months to report this sighting. I wanted independent confirmation from the FAA and other government agencies, but none was forthcoming. My location was central Bucks County, Pennsylvania on the border with Montgomery County. I met a guy at a stock show and we were talking about hunting and he's a predator caller. 
and he called one up in the Black Hills, South Dakota, and he and another guy and his friend won't go hunting with him anymore. He showed me a picture of the footprint, his foot next to it, and it was like three times the length of his foot. It was like ten or eleven size foot. It was in the brush, screaming and yelling at them and breaking stuff. He kind of wanted me to go hunting with him, but, you know, I've never seen one, and I don't know if I want to be lucky enough or unlucky to run into it. Here's the other spooky story. Now, this isn't a first-hand report to me, but the friend that told me said the man that told him, and he knew the man that told him this story. He said he had no reason to lie to me, and it was in the limestone area, which is on the western side of the Black Hills, and he had a lumber contract out there. Instead of going out around, he decided to walk across a meadow and go on the back side of it. And the man claimed, this is what my friend Ronald told me, the man walked up on a baby Bigfoot in a grass nest out there in a meadow. It had humanoid features. All by itself, only it was like twice the size of the human baby or something like that. He walked up on it in this nest, in the grass in this meadow and he turned around and walked back out and he didn't go back until the next day. When he went back the nest was empty and off they went. I've never given Bigfoots or any supposed animal that doesn't exist any real thought in my life. That is until I went camping back in the fall of 2005. My place of choice was Mount Adams in Washington State. I do things pretty unethically and probably quite dangerous to most. I usually start off at a trailhead and go completely off trail, using only my compass to guide me back in the right direction. I was pretty good at doing what I do, so I knew I wasn't too uncomfortable with the concept of the whole thing. I remember the leaves were just starting to change color. So this was probably earlier in October. I remember I had hiked miles and miles the very first day. Set up camp, got up the next morning, went again for another five to seven miles before toning it down that evening and settling down early. I had probably hiked at this point in a cumulative 12 to 13 miles so far, and I wanted to make sure I rested a lot this very evening. What was really nice about the spot that I set up camp at is that I was only a couple hundred yards away from a rather large creek. This enabled me to use water for multiple purposes, including cooking with that night itself went pretty normal. Everything was beautiful out, the stars were out, the sounds of the forest. It was wonderful and I slept pretty well until the following morning. I remember waking up about five or six in the morning or so, I think, to some weird gibberish chirping sounds. Probably up 200 or so feet away, if I had to guess properly. The sounds seemed pretty distant, but close enough that I could actually hear kind of what was going on. These sounds sounded like people on speed talking as fast as they could. It was the weirdest thing. I remember thinking to myself, why would there be anyone out here? I'm at least 13 miles away from any trailhead. I just laid there, though, with my eyes shut, trying to drift back off to sleep. But this gibbering sound is all I could think of to call it. Kept going on and on. Finally, I got curious and wanted to see what was going on, so I got out of my sleeping bag and poked my head out of the tent. 
Now, from right where my head pokes out of the tent, I had a pretty clear view of the creek. From where I could see, and there was enough trees and brush that I was kind of concealed, I guess you would say. Like if there was a bear or some predator at the creek, I don't think it would necessarily see me. But again, I had a pretty clear view. I remember I looked over in the direction of the creek, and I was stunned by what I saw. There were two humanoid figures, I guess we'll call them. One was black and extremely hairy. The other one was almost a pale white with a little bit of gray. The pale gray one was taller and larger than the black one, if I had to guess sizes. Of course, just based around the rocks around them, I would say the black one was maybe five to six feet tall, while the pale gray one was probably eight to nine feet tall. The pale gray one was obviously much larger in girth and overall size. Even the muscle mass was a huge difference between the two. I couldn't really make out any faces or anything other than just seeing these large shapes, but I remember hearing the gibbering noises go on and on, and it sounded like it was coming from them. They were moving their arms around like they were lost in conversation with one another, and they were literally standing right at the bed of the creek. I was in such shock and disbelief and so bummed out, I didn't even have my Kodak camera or anything to take a picture of these things with. I was pretty sure what I was witnessing was two Bigfoots having a conversation or something like that, although I don't know if you could really call that conversation. It was just these weird, high-pitched, gibbering noises that I guess would be their communication. I'm not sure. This went on for a little while longer, and I watched them out of curiosity. I never sensed any fear or felt anything bad, just watched them sit there, move their arms around, and talk to one another. And then, before I knew it, they kind of just disappeared. They moved out of view really quickly, but the gibbering noises and sounds still kept going on, although I could tell it was moving farther and farther away. It's really crazy to me because I know that the Pacific Northwest is supposed to be known for Bigfoot, but I never actually ever believed in that, and I didn't think I would be running into any of them at all in my camping expeditions, let alone. After they left, I got back in my tent and got everything ready to go, and I actually tried to head back to where I came from just in case. I didn't want to wander into their territory or anything like that. I have no idea what kind of animals those things were, and I didn't want to be on the aggressive side of any one of these things, even though I wasn't scared at all. I feel like this whole experience just taught me to be a whole lot more aware of your surroundings and to be open-minded to the unknown. Even though there's things out there that are supposedly not supposed to exist, I saw with my very own eyes two of those things. I don't know if Bigfoot are supposed to be a type of people, or an animal, or even supernatural, but whatever they are, I must have been close to maybe a den or a village, or whatever it is, that they migrate and live in all together. I've told my experiences to a few friends of mine, and they actually tell me that it sounds like I encountered an elderly Bigfoot talking to a younger juvenile Bigfoot, which I thought was extremely interesting. I guess white and gray Bigfoots aren't as common, but I guess they are seen from time to time. I don't know if it's because of their age or what it is that causes them to be that color, but then it was also interesting to see a shorter one, 
which would make sense that maybe that one was a juvenile that was talking to the elder one. Maybe that really did mean that there was a village nearby or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but it would make a lot of sense since Mount Adams, I guess, is kind of a hot spot for UFO and Bigfoot encounters. I later on found out, and like I said, I was at least 10 plus miles off of any trailhead. It would be impossible for really anyone else to be out there in a big hairy gorilla costume of any kind. There's no reason anybody would travel 10 plus miles out in the middle of the forest to do such a thing. And for what reason? Not to mention those Bigfoot sounds were just not human. This happened to me a few years ago, and I don't mention it often only because it sounds fake and made up, and I don't expect anyone to believe me. I'm just posting here because the experience has stayed with me for some time. A few years ago, I was hanging out with my then-boyfriend and friend. Both of them are classic logic-type dudes, whereas I have a healthy respect for the paranormal. They think stuff like astrology, etc. is bogus whereas I believe in it. It was around 9 p.m., and we all wanted to go to the beach, and one of us decided to make an Aja board for fun. I'll preface this by saying neither of us drank or used drugs. They were both being really silly, and I was the only one who was nervous and saying we have to take this seriously. When we got to the beach, I called the quarters and opened the circle, and we started asking dumb questions, and nothing happened. After a half hour, we asked if someone was with us, and the board shot to yes, and we were all visibly freaked out. I immediately tried to end the session and close the circle. We all said we still felt it, and we're all pretty freaked out. My friend started maniacally laughing, and my boyfriend started getting undressed and said I'm going swimming. It was fall and like 3 a.m., and I didn't feel weird at all, just scared. I'm begging him not to get in the water, and he just keeps blankly staring at me, saying I'm going swimming. I'm crying, begging him not to go, and he snaps out of it and basically was like, what the F am I doing, and looks scared as hell. My friend is still laughing and yelling that his name is Marcia, and my boyfriend and I are really scared. We pull him up the stairs from the beach and get him to the car. Once we're on the street, he saw a deer and ran after it faster than I've seen anyone run in my life. We get him in the car to drive home, and we drive by a church, where he starts speaking in tongues, and my boyfriend and I are just lost at what to do. When we get to my boyfriend's house, he and I run inside and close the door. I know this was shitty of us, and our friend literally left claw marks at the door trying to get in. I called one of my friends who knows a lot about this stuff and put the phone to my friend's ear where my friend on the phone said a word from the indigenous Cree language. My friend then projectile vomits and starts sobbing, asking what has happened. The next day we go to get fast food and the employee keeps calling out a to-go order for the name Marsha, but no one comes to get it. The three of us have since drifted apart, and I don't think about it too often, but part of me thinks my friend and boyfriend were faking it, but neither of them are that type of person. I have doubts because of how fast my friend ran after the deer was humanly impossible. I'm not trying to prove anything, but just thought this would be interesting for some of you.